Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Delighted you could join us for the Big Red Bench. My name is Rory O'Hagan. I'm here with you until 7 p.m. The very busy show coming up between now and 7 o'clock. We'll have reaction from the Senior Hurling Championship quarterfinal doubleheader in Porky Creed this afternoon when there were victories for Carrick Tool and St Finbars as they booked their places in the last four. We'll also discuss uh, Recreational GA, which is back in Porky Creed uh, this week. We'll talk to author Adrian Russell about the Dublin how Cork made GAA history, his new book on Cork's double in 1990. We'll have reaction as well, more reaction indeed, uh, from Alan Bennett's testimonial yesterday. We'll hear from Pat Dolan and John O'Flynn. And we'll talk uh, to Cage Warriors as they prepare, prepare to return to Cork after a lengthy absence. Tickets give away to Cork, Cillian Finharps as well. You're listening to The Big Red Bench on Cork's Red FM. Right, we're here until 7 o'clock. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can text us 0868104106. You can tweet us as well at Big Red Bench is the place for that. Uh, tickets to give away to Cork City and Finn Harps happening this Friday night at Turner's Cross. 7.45 kickoff with courtesy of Cork City FM, proud partners of the Rebel Army. For more information, check out ccfc.ie. So if you want to win a pair of tickets, just text us your name and your address and, and the words Rebel Army to 086 8104106 will draw out the uh, winners uh, just before 7 o'clock on the bench. Just going to wrap up on uh, everything that happened today. We'll start at Croke Park where Dublin have won the All-Ireland uh, Senior Ladies Football Championship. They are now uh, three in a row winners after a low-scoring affair against Galway. Maura Trasny Kellogg was there. Full-time Dublin 2-3 Galway 4 points. A record-breaking crowd of over 56,000 watched a terrible All-Ireland final today where horrendous weather ensured the scores were very hard to come by and Dublin got the scores that matter with the goal in the first half from Sinead Goldrick and another in the second from Hannah O'Neill. The Goldrick goal was the first score of the game and 23 minutes had been played before she rattled the back of the Galway net. Both sides were guilty of wayward shooting but the fact that Galway's dynamic goalfinder Moraine Choiga was in the bin didn't help the tribesmen either while Dublin managed to grind out what they needed. Full-time Dublin 2-3, Galway 4 points. As Maura Trasser said, their record attendance at the game today, 56,114. In the intermediate final, it finished uh, Tipperary 216, Meath 114. And the junior decider, uh, full-time at Croke Park, finished uh, loud 313 for Manor 2-6. Busy day around the county locally in the Senior Hurling Championship. There was a doubleheader in Porky Rin today. Caratool defeated Ballyhay 317 to 216. And Newtown Shannonburg Glen Rovers now awaiting in the last four for Caratool. Well, the Bars defeated Bishopstown 15 points to 14. Bars will play either in McKilly or Sarsfields in the semi-finals. In the Premier Intermediate Hurling Championship quarter-final, Father O'Neill's defeating Watergrass Hill 121 to 114. In Intermediate Hurling, Sarsfields defeating Argadine Rangers 113 to 110. In the Junior Football Championship, Alan Hassig defeating Garnish 211 to 5 points. Barry Martel had a 110 to 16 win over Erhan. And in the Junior A Hurling Championship, finished Newmarket 415 at Tracton 113. In the third round of the SE Systems Camogie Championship, Sarsfields uh, defeating Milford 113 to 17. St. Catharines defeated Cladoff 17 points to 18. So two games underway since half past five. Inascara taking on Aero Oak, seven points to five there is how that one stands that game is in uh, Castle Road and uh, Carberry taking on Ballon Colleague Carberry leading 11 points 
uh, to three points that's the score there from Brinning in rugby and uh, Joe Schmidt says that Robbie Henshaw is likely to miss Ireland's World Cup opener against Scotland on Sunday the 26 year old Leinster centre has a tightness in his hamstring Schmidt smoked to the media at the Ireland Team Hotel in Japan today uh, Robbie pulled up with a tightness in his hamstring uh, he has a scan at 2pm today and that will give us more information I think the fact that he, he pulled up, he, he wasn't accelerating at the time. Um, you know, we'd be hopeful it's not too bad. Uh, is, is it likely to rule him out of, of, of this week? Yeah, we, we have to say it is likely, the fact that he did pull up. But we'd be hopeful it's not too bad. Yeah, so not the best of uh, news for Ireland heading into uh, Sunday's opener um, against Scotland. Elsewhere today and uh, in the Premier League, two games taking place. Arsenal are 2-1 up on Watford, 77 minutes on the clock there. Bournemouth with a 3-1 win over Everton earlier on this afternoon. Elsewhere in the ladies' football, uh, Cork City uh, going down to Shelburne today in Bishopstown. 4-0 was how it finished in favour of Shells. In the FAI Intermediate Cup today, it finished Wilton United, nil Ringman Rangers 5 Avondale United 3 Blarney United 1 and for my nil St Mary's 7 Double, or, excuse me, England's cricketers are pushing for a series levelling win on day 4 of the final Ashes test at the Oval a short while ago um, Australia were 260 for 8 as they target 399 for victory elsewhere in golf and uh, incredible scenes at the Solheim Cup where Europe have pipped the USA to win 14 and a half to 13 and a half. It looked like it was going the USA's way and that would have been their third Solheim Cup in a row but uh, Europe rallied back and with Suzanne Peterson with the winning putt, the last putt in the last match on the last green and she drained a six foot putt. Absolutely incredible stuff and absolutely uh, very, very dramatic scenes there. Elsewhere, Sergio Garcia has won the KLM Open in Amsterdam. The Spaniard won on a score of 18 under par Dubliner Podrick Harrington finished best of the Irish on 9 under of Paul Dunn further back on 7 under par meanwhile Gavin Moynihan had a final round to forget 7 over 79 as he ended on level par we are going to start the show with uh, Gaelic Games and a uh, reaction from the doubleheader today in the Senior Hurling Championship. Uh, Carrick Tool uh, defeating Ballyhay 317 to 2-16. Uh, going to hear now from uh, their boss Keith Rickon. Delighted with that, sure. I mean, you know, you're, you're living in your community and you come down, you pass the pitch every night and you see the lads out hurling for the last somebody else and they've good teams and, you know, not so good teams and they've worked out for the last couple of years. They've been probably on a downward trajectory. Um, but this year, like the lads, have uh, got their draws in the Championship. And, um, you know, they've, they've played very well. They've put down, you know, they put down their heads. They stuck to, stuck to their principles for most of that game. It lasted the last few minutes again. Now it lasted the game, but that can happen. Um, but, like, there's a very young panel there. There's a good minor team that uh, won the East Cock last weekend. Uh, the under-20s are still doing well. The juniors had a good run. And it's sort of, there's a future for the club. The underage is getting very strong. Um, so, for us, it's important that we put down a pattern. So, that's what we're doing. And the pattern has got us through semi-final. And we're delighted to be there. Down a point at half-time. What were you thinking at that stage? Uh, just, I thought we were holding within ourselves, really. You know, I thought we were, we were better than, than, than what we were 
proper training. I thought they were up, up on their hooks and their blocks in the in in, in our, um, Bally Hay were ahead of us in the work rate ethic, and there was no doubt about that. And we had to kind of we had, we addressed that in the first ten minutes of the second half. You know, we got in about seven to one in blocks and hooks, and you could see that. And they turned them over, and we opened up inside and to get the score, so we knew we could get um, that we've been threatening to get all year really. So I'm kind of I'm not surprised with the victory, but I, but I, I'm you know I'm I'm and I'm happy with the victory. But you know, I think there's more in them still. Okay, do you get to sit back now and watch the other three? Do you know, I'm going to have been six the last hours there. I tell you, I had the worst uh, vomit and bug and God of all time, right? So I tell you, I got out of bed today for the, for the match and I'm going home again now to go to back to bed. And that's when I'm going, so I'll be back to work tomorrow. Uh, but I'm sure the lads will work in the fall. Watch, you all right, you know? That's <laughs> Keith Riggin there, martyring for the cause, uh, getting out of bed to, to help uh, his side of victory today. 317 to 216 was how it finished. And as we mentioned, it'll be Newtown Chandler where Glen Rover is in the last four now for Carrick Tool. They meet next Saturday afternoon. St. Finbar's meanwhile well with a narrow win over uh, local rivals Bishopstown this afternoon. 15 points to 14 was how it finished. Seven points from Owen Finn, helping the Bars into a semi-final clash with either Emma Killy or Sarsfield after winning the local derby by a point in the parky ring today. And the Chalk side never trailed. They led 8-7 to half-time afterwards. Dennis Hurley spoke to their manager, Ronan Curran. Assessment, just happy to get over. It wasn't a good performance, we all know that. Like, it was poor, I suppose. Bisham did the best to kind of disrupt our game, uh, played a sweeper back there, and we, we found it hard. Yeah. We found it hard like, to break him down. You know, Shane O'Neill is a very intelligent player back there, and you know, I cut out a lot of ball for him, and it was hard to break him down. And it was a bit of a fight, like, you know, and uh, to be fair to them, they'd done their homework, and uh, we struggled, but look, we battled, and I always said to Les, I said just there, we battled away, and uh, you know, I think, I, I think we're just about the better team. On the day, you know. I suppose in, in the first half he um, he, he led and then they drew you back and he got up by four again. And the second half was the same. When they came back level, you were able to come with a response. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I suppose we did. A few big players come up with big players there. You know, uh, Conor Callan, Damien came up with a few a few yeah. nice players there and stuff like that. But we struggled. We struggled today. There's no doubt about it. It was probably our, our worst performance probably of the year. But that's as much down to Bishopstone as is to, to us not. not going great so look we're still there as, yeah. I, as I said a while ago county semi-final jumpers and woolly hats we haven't been there in a while you know yeah and uh, it, will it be will it be easy to kind of keep it in any hype you know with the semi-final so. nah not after that performance I mean, yeah. it just wasn't great like so I don't think anyone really expects much of us in the semi like you know which is a great way to go into yeah. it look we go in there and we see what happens we'll throw everything at it hopefully a few of our injuries uh, clear up we look like we have a bad one in Glenn there which is okay. unfortunate because he's, he's been a great batsman for years hurling in football yeah. so that's a pity for him so so look we'll see yeah see, you, you see can watch the match next, next yeah, I, was, I, I was just saying there like you know I, like, I hope now we get our, our proper two weeks to, to prepare for this game after the football I think the comp- competition deserves that yeah. so we go out of our way to, to look after McKinley or whatever to, so they don't play in the same weekends as their intermediates I, I think yeah. the Bears uh, what we've done for you know cock hurling over the years deserves the two weeks after the footballers just to prepare for the game yeah. because like it, it's tough stuff going picking up injuries there in football and stuff like that and it, it's not helping us like, you know. okay. Okay. that's the Bars boss there Roland Curran talking about uh, hurling with uh, woolly hats and uh, jumpers at this time of the year and he's delighted to be there after that win over uh, Bishopstown 15 points to 14 was uh, how it finished this afternoon and uh, they will now face the, the winners of Immokilier Sarsfields uh, who play next Saturday uh, Watford have equalised against Arsenal the Gunners were 2-0 up at Vicarage Road thanks to two goals in the first half from Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang uh, but they got back into the game thanks to Tom Cleverley's strike and Roberto Pereira has uh, just gotten a penalty to make it 2-2 
83 minutes there on the clock uh, at Vicarage Road and uh, still lots to play for uh, for both sides uh, Recreational GAA returns to Porky Cueve this week it's essentially uh, a GAA uh, version of five aside for over 30s and according to the GAA website it's designed to offer players who may no longer be playing competitively or retired from playing with their clubs are a chance to continue playing GAA in a social setting with like-minded players. Uh, Colin Crowley is one of the organisers of it. He's been speaking to Kieran. I'd like to be joined on the line by uh, Cork GDA, Colin Crowley. Colin, welcome to the bench. Thanks, Kieran. Um, come here, you're not just a, a GDA, you're also heavily involved in the recreational GA, which started last year. Um, very successful uh, as well, it seems. Um, it's It's been run down the Astro and Parky Cueve. It, it started in other venues as well, but before we go into all of that, uh, just for people who may not have heard about it, what is it? Basically, it is the soccer, five-a-side soccer, tag rugby equivalent for GA. So, modified, slightly modified rules for hurling football. Um, and, like, during the winter months to give, I suppose our target audience would be players, people who are retired from playing, or are playing for their second or third team in the club and aren't as committed as they once were. Um, just as a chance to keep playing hurling and football into their... Uh, so it's middle middle age um, as much as in heels you know we'd have a kind of a white demographic of fellas from 30 to 50 taking part um, who either haven't played since primary school or some fellas are still playing junior B with their club um, but it's, it's kind of it targets an older, an older audience older by 30 plus yeah. um, just to keep playing hurling football in a modified modified version um, on, on an astrograph the same as, as it would have side side soccer throughout the winter yeah, last year I wouldn't have been uh, eligible for it, but this year uh, I've fallen into the bracket. Um, but uh, look, as you mentioned there, it's open to a wide variety of uh, people. You you don't necessarily have had to play hurling at a, any high level or anything to play it either. No, no, and like most of the fellas, like nearly, I'd say nearly everyone that's played has played hurling at some, le- some level, yeah. um, but it's like we had a couple last year who did actually play since primary school. Um, we don't have, we don't have too many former inter-county stars taking part, uh, because I think one of the probably things that the GA, they're very good at keeping players involved once they retire, trying to get them back into clubs, coaches and stuff, yeah. but they, they're supposed to the opportunity to play, play hurling and continue to play hurling and football as they get older it's kind of there's nothing in the GA to cater for the transition from I suppose players who are all in committed to playing first team in the club and then once they stop playing they kind of just go and they their exercise levels of activity probably fall off a cliff as regards health wise so it's, uh, it's a nice nice opportunity for those kind of players to keep playing without having to give a massive commitment without having a manager ringing them will you be there tomorrow night can we count on you Saturday at 11 o'clock or Saturday Sunday at 11 yeah. o'clock so they can come and go as they, as they see fit but uh, it's just a chance to get out onto the pitch and uh, I suppose the, the bonus of having these Astro available is a big a big perk for a lot of players to get in there Yeah um, we talked about it last year but the the idea for the, the whole thing where did it come about? Um, I suppose you know it's been something that's been spoken about for years and you'd hear people talking about it and there'd be articles in newspapers about GAS there was a social aspect to GA to playing because like when you look at the stats of participation in soccer and rugby yeah. they'd be, the soccer would be higher than GA but it's higher because of social and recreational soccer um, in the five-a-side soccer so if you play five-a-side soccer and there's uh, sports council looking for a number of participants you'll count as a player even though you're not playing competitively with a club just one of these people that go out on a Tuesday Wednesday night 9 to 10 o'clock on a local astrograph and play and 
the age where I'm not able to give a commitment to take training two, three times a week with a club team. Um, and what I do love playing. And I'm still playing a small bit of my junior B team at home in the club, playing junior C football, and I love it. But it's only basically going out playing the matches and you might do the odd training session. So the, the commitment that's needed wouldn't be, just for playing, playing with the club team wouldn't be necessary, but it kind of, it, it breaks up the ground a small bit. So I suppose just from, from playing five-a-side soccer myself for the last six, seven years um, and, and talking to other people that it was just something we said we'd try and in fairness it took off last year when we had I'd say we, I think we'd over 140 different participants throughout a couple of months mm-hmm. um, be it like we, we asked at one stage we finished off with a bit of a blitz on a Saturday evening where we asked players to bring a team themselves so they brought in a couple of extra players but we were averaging about 60 players 60 to 80 players every night in Parky Grief um, and the start of November to December of last year yeah um, the, the rules for it because I suppose it, it's not as uh, intense as uh, a league or championship fixture what kind of rules go along with it basically we, we play we play on a modified pitch on a modified we play on the astroph on um, smaller size pitch so I'd say the closest thing you could say to the rules of what they are is goal games under 10 okay. so the pitch is about 60 metres long um, in, let's say the, when we're in Park Creeve obviously and when we're other astrophs it's smaller but we try to make it about 65 to 70 metres long uh, 40 yards wide and the, mod, the rules are one hop one solo on football um, again same as what we do for the goal games and then hurling we just try to limit the solo to say fellas can solo with the ball and already for four steps. We use a tennis ball for hurling just from the point of view of if you're on goals and there's a fellow bearing down on goals and you, the last thing you want is a size five slitter being hit at you um, because there is loads and loads of goal opportunities in these games because of the small size pitch. And also the tennis ball, if you hit it full whack, it'll only go about 40 metres. So if you hit a slitter from the keeper, you can puck it into full forward line, but it takes a bit more build-up play. Um, football, similar. We use a size four football in the... For the, for the matches um, same size pitch and we try to keep it to kind of seven, six, five, six to eight aside depending on how many turn up on the night and I suppose the main the only other rule we'd kind of implement would be non-contact now as you know as a referee there's an awful lot of incidental contact in the games yeah. um, in hurling football and we load up we just kind of cut down on the aggressive tackling of you know, trying to force turnovers of a man in possession or there's no, pro- no, hand, no problem getting a hand in but it's just cutting out the physical contact because as I said with the age demographic of players with more likelihood to pick up little knocks and little injuries um, we just want to limit that so as I said there's nobody hopefully going home in the morning with, with a slap in the hand and a big bruise in there on the wrist or anything like that um, so that, that's kind of I think that's kind of one of the more attractive things for a lot of players is the, the non well as I said you're always the incident in contact but that it's we kind of pull down on the, the aggressive tackling so you kind of once you get the ball, you kind of have a bit of a chance to play it, um, as opposed to being dispossessed straight away by a, maybe a, a fellow who was playing senior hurling or senior football until two or three years ago. Yeah, um, last year you mentioned already it was very successful. Oh. Last year there was uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I thought I saw online there was other clubs trying to get involved in it and, and organise uh, events like. Yeah, so I suppose the, the success, the main success story would be like after Christmas last year we would have went out a couple of regions so we would have had a base in Airog, in Sars, in Carrickool, in the Bars, um, just because we weren't able to get access to Park Grieve due to the county teams being needless mm-hmm. um, and. The, probably the big success story was Cargilline who they probably started around the same I think they started maybe it was after Christmas last year on a Monday night and they basically kept going um, and they, they they went through to J 
June. They basically took a two month, two month break in July and August and they started up the first week in September again. And they're getting numbers down there. And in fairness, Brendan O'Driscoll has taken part in it. He needs to go to the officer and He takes part in himself every week. Um, and if he's not there, the equipment is left there, the dressing is left open. And the lads pay the five euro to take part. And they, they just get on with it every single week. And I suppose they, they'd be the success story. And plan he would have held a one-off um, competition around Christmas time when just when there's a lot of people back um, in Blarney that might be living elsewhere yeah. they held a one-off and I think they had over 40 participants and like just going beyond Cork then like the like speaking to Ali Moran there last week about they were trying to start one above in Limerick Monolina trying to start one in Limerick there's one in Dublin there's the lads in Antrim are very proactive in it there's a Kilkenny group doing it um, so it's kind of I suppose we just needed to get over a couple of barriers at the start, you know, like the biggest concern I would have had would have been like insurance and stuff like that. But yeah. after picking a crop back, they just went through that. Um, same fall as they used to get from others and others and if they're doing walks in the club and stuff like that, the players, participants sign a waiver form just to say that they're not liable. Um, because, as you can imagine, trying to get insurance to cover, yeah. um, that would be quite substantial, especially with the, the insurance issues we're having in the country at the moment. So, um, that's probably the biggest barrier and as I said but clubs though are much more sort of proactive to train it and taking part and as I said Caroline would be they'd be the success story of it I'd say they're like in, nearly in Ireland they're probably the most functional as regards the most participants and the regularity of it and stuff like that so they're a credit to Brendan and the lads out there for keeping that going Yeah and look before I leave you go Colm um, obviously th- there will be people who will hear this and they'll be like jeez you know I, I might give that a crack uh, where can they find more information? Yeah so we've got uh, we got some information it's actually up in the Cork GA website it went up in the news the news website um, during the week um, on the news article they can also check out Twitter which is Social GA Cork and most of the stuff is there um, and anyone can contact me as well um, my details are on the redrollcoaching.com website if anyone wants to get in touch with me but there's uh, loads of stuff to search Google Social GA Cork and they'll be sent on they'll find loads of, of um, places to contact and places to, to have a look at what's happened last year there's plenty of videos of the nights that we went out um, plenty of videos and pictures of the participants and stuff like that so it might give them an idea of what, what it's about um, but as I said, it's uh, yeah, it's easy. You know, it's just open to everybody. As I said, we've there was a twenty-one-year-old on to me yesterday asking me could he take part, and I said once he's not too fast, there'll be no problem. <laughs> um, so as I said, we're open to anyone who wants to come down and try it. We're going to do next six weeks, starting this Thursday night in Parky Creeve from eight to nine, and uh, hopefully after that we'll be able to get another slot for the for the remainder of the winter leading into Christmas. And uh, we try to keep people as active and healthy and, I suppose, taking part in sport for as long as they can. The big red bench on Cork, Shadow Fan, that's Colin Crowley, their Cork uh, Games Development Officer, top mode at Recreational GAA, which is back in Porky Creeve this Thursday. Uh, looks like a cracking. Um a cracking night out and a cracking way to, to get out and play um, so get out and check it out check all the details there that Cullum just mentioned online and uh, get down to Park Creek playing the Astral on Thursday night should be a uh, cracking uh, couple of weeks that's all over at Watford 2 Arsenal 2 is how that game finished uh, this afternoon uh, Watford coming from two goals down at Victory Road uh, to salvage a point we're going to take a quick break and talk MMA but up next we're going to talk uh, to author Adrian Russell about his book on the Cork double of 1990 Miss the show Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. 
Right, latest scores uh, from the Camogie Championship uh, games uh, taking place uh, this evening. It's in Ascara, nine points, Airhog, six points, 36 minutes on the clock there in Castle Road. And elsewhere, it's uh, Carberry, 116, Bancolic, eight points, uh, 41 minutes gone in that game. And it's just all over as well at Vicarage Road, Watford, two. Arsenal 2 is how it finished Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang with a double in the first half to give Arsenal the lead at the break by two goals to nil Tom Cleverley brought to prayer with the goals out for Watford that has secured them a point just their second of the season in five games so far Right we are going to talk uh, to author Adrian Russell now he's the editor of the 42.ie and he has just published his first book The Double How Cork Made GAA History All About Cork's Double in nine. 1990. Right, we're joined in studio by Adrian Russell, author of The Double, How Cork Made GAA History. Adrian, you're very welcome along to the Big Red Bench, first off. Thanks, lads. Um, tell us, first question, uh, why write the book? I mean, like, um, where did the inspiration for it come, I suppose? Uh, I suppose there's a few reasons. The first is that it's the kind of book I like to, to read myself, you know, as the, um, you know the, the kind of concept type book where, you know, someone goes and kind of tells the story of a group of people rather than there has been a lot of ghosted autobiographies yeah. which are excellent in the past few years but for me to kind of get my teeth into something I thought I'd like to do something like that then you're looking at the next question is what, what are you going to write and I thought all the ingredients were here for this you know um, an amazing achievement which hadn't necessarily got the I felt recognition it might <laughs> otherwise deserve and then the characters you know it's all there like the you know the father Brian um, Billy Morgan are the two kind of pillars in the two stories you're trying to thread those together and then the players are obviously you know massive personalities like Larry Tompkins Tomas McCahey Teddy McCarthy John Fitzgibbon you know and then all the staff Dr. Khan uh, John Cronin people like that um, and then I think there's a real uh, sense, I don't know why at the moment, kind of uh, a nostalgia for that period of time. You know, Amy Lawrence has the 89 Arsenal book out at the moment. Um, and I think there's a lot of projects, you know, the Maradona film, not to compare myself with <laughs> with those big projects, but, um, you know, so so that, that was it. I thought, you know, if, if I could pull this off, there's the, all, all the ingredients are there to, to yeah. do a good job on this. Because it seems so obvious to do a book about, like, such an incredible achievement, yet there hasn't really been one. Yeah, I don't know. Um, it seems so obvious now that it's out and it's published and I'm holding it in my hands like yeah and there's been books for, for less achievements and um, I don't know is it the Cork thing you know <laughs> I'm not just saying this because I'm on Red FM today but um, maybe there's a reluctance you know outside the county to and, and people make the point in the book to give this to um, did you I suppose respect that it deserves and, and maybe um, you know if the footballers came along and the hurlers didn't pull off a kind of once in a Blue Moon or that's not a, the way to put it put a, a from nowhere kind of win I yeah. suppose which they did they came from nowhere um, maybe the footballers would have a book you know that kind of back to back thing that was and repeated until I suppose Kerry 10 years ago um, so that was an amazing achievement in itself the footballers and I, as I got stuck into it I was like there is a book in the footballers because <laughs> uh, they were such a great group of people um, and so yeah I don't know why like, and the, the 25 year thing kind of came and went and um it kind of occurred to me that you know someone should do this, and you know there's that kind of imposter syndrome that maybe someone, you know, a GA writer. I'm, I'm the editor of a website, basically. But I don't. I'm not out there every day covering GA um, events, like so. Maybe somebody else should do it. But ultimately, I just decided to to go with it and see if people would kind of answer my calls. And and here we are. Yeah, um, there's over 30 chapters, Adrian, as well. Like, it must have taken serious amount of time to put together and the amount of people you had to interview. Yeah, um, it, it, it took 12 months to kind of write the first draft, if you know what I mean, and then another six months to kind of turn it to English, as my former editor would have said to me. Um, 
so yeah there's I think up to f- I don't know what once at 40 but 30 odd in interviews anyway like so I don't think anybody can <laughs> say I didn't do the, the work but there was a lot of scope then I suppose for people kind of saying oh it didn't happen like that or that's not my memory which is fair enough but I tried to lay it all out as people remember it um, but, and then as well as that there was um, the newspaper research and uh, going back through old interviews and secondary research I suppose you'd call it but uh, you know I work in Dublin with the 42 and I live in Cork so I'm up and down on the train mm. you know most days so you know it was kind of a joy really to kind of get on at Houston and get your head into whatever bit of work you're doing that day and you look up and you're in you know, Limerick Junction or whatever so it kind of passed the time mm. and it was kind of cool actually kind of go up and, up and down on the rail um, the same tracks that they kind of went up and down to, to make history I suppose um, so yeah there was a lot of work in it but it was very enjoyable and um, the other thing was the you know the the cups of coffee that I had with you know people from McCroon to Bantry to all around the place and the players were unbelievably generous with their time for someone that they don't necessarily know like and um, they were um, generous with their memories too I suppose you know they were kind of really open and um, they kind of told stories kind of against themselves and they were very <laughs> modest really you know and um, and then they'd kind of say look you should talk to this fellow next and get you know, I don't know if they'll want me saying this, but they pass on a number here and there or whatever. Um, so no, it was, it was a lot of work, but it was very enjoyable. Sure, like, I'm sure they would have enjoyed reminiscing about yeah, all those years. You would hope so, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then, as well as that, there was um, the opponents and the people like, you know, Sir Farrell, Babs Keating, who, who were kind of. Um, you know, once I suppose losers. Technically speaking, in this particular story, they obviously won plenty in their careers. Um, and you know, Liam Hayes, a mid player. You know, all these kind of kind yeah. of um, opponents, I suppose is the word. And you know, like Tommy Sugar, the referee in Kerry, who was at the controversy and at the centre of the controversy in '88. He was happy to talk to me. He was really generous with his time as well. In fairness to him, um, so. So yeah, even though you're right, like people were happy to reminisce about the glory days. Like there was a lot of even for the Cork players, you know, it starts in '87, and there was, mm. you know, dark days '87, '88 for the footballers. The others had, you know, bad days in '89 against Water from particular. So um, they got stuck into it all. Yeah. Are the players kind of aware of their place in history, or is it kind of just era? It was just uh, one year kind of thing. Like? Yeah. Um, I think. I think they are. I think. Um, like I, I suppose it's kind of unique in a way in that like unless you were a dual player I mean like you just won an All-Ireland whereas yeah, for exactly. Cork people it's a double do you know yeah yeah. The, I think the the hurlers probably in particular kind of made that point that they won an All-Ireland and then it was kind of almost you know someone put on another card and it would turn into a different hand if you know what I mean mm. so um, but for them I suppose um, for the footballers it was about beating Mead in 90 really and that's how they won it I think even with 14 men because they just focused on you know like uh, sports psychologists these would call it just process stuff you know that they just wanted to beat Mead and then whatever happens afterwards which was a double happened um, and I think they like Dennis Walsh speaks really well about this and Michael Slocum as well uh, you know um, for them it's about the kind of the memories of being in a special group like Dennis Walsh was in both groups obviously Um it's about kind of having those memories and kind of making people happy really is what, how they ex- mm. a couple of them express it to me and w- whatever way people want to kind of place them in the ranking and the pantheon that's up to them and maybe <laughs> um, if they're honest they think and I would agree uh, that they should be higher up in people's estima- estimations both panels really that, that achievement um, but yeah I don't think it's kind of the primary concern for them now there's lots of there's lots of great stories in the book obviously from behind the scenes and everything one in particular um, Larry Tompkins and Colm O'Neill they were yeah. worried about Colm I suppose going into the, the big matches and yeah, uh, Larry had a few choice words with him yeah yeah um, I suppose Larry was captain in 90 and yeah. He, yeah, I think he probably had choice words for everybody at the time 
even Billy, I think. Um, so it was coming into the, the 1990 Munster final. Um, Colm O'Neill wasn't even on the panel. He decided to opt out yeah. for various reasons um, she expressed in the book. And there was a, a massive... Um, like Larry, I suppose, initially made the point that Billy that we should be kind of going all in in training and we need a bit of bite, as how he put it. And uh, then that <laughs> ended up in, and there was other reasons, but there was an injury crisis essentially. And Colin O'Neill was called back in, he, he kind of accepted the, the call back and he ended up um, starting because I suppose Larry voted for him in Donny Jory's Hotel at the time in, on the mm-hmm. Western Road. Um, and he's, you know, I suppose Billy hadn't. Like Larry says, he didn't particularly trust him on the big days, and I don't know if that's true, but it is true that he wasn't used on the big days, like up until that point, I suppose, even though he was really talented forward. Um, so then Larry gave him a, a bit of a pep talk, and, you know, I'll break your two legs, was the kind of. <laughs> and there's a few other choice words yeah, in yeah, too, yeah, there's, there's, there's a bit of, bit of that. Uh, I'll break your two legs if you don't perform today, type thing, go and do it. But the point I think Larry was making <laughs> was that you're an unbelievable player, like, and he says this as well, and. You know, this is your chance to show it. Like, and and Colin O'Neill went out and scored eleven points. Like, he took all the frees off Larry, and he scored a lot from play as well. You know, he was brilliant against you know a Kerry team who had ruled the roost for twenty years or whatever. Oh, they were on the way down then, as Colin O'Neill says in the book himself. Um, but that was probably the you know that I would make the case the kind of capstone performance of their few years with Billy. Like, they demolished that Kerry team below. Like, and um, and then you know they were driving on then again yeah, to another all Ireland and Colin. You know, played a, a really pivotal role in the next two games as well. What other kind of stories kind of stick out from your your interviews? Um, this the kind of like I loved speaking to people about. Um, I think John Kate Cronin is a, a a big figure in the book. He was the the masseuse. He's a character I kind of remember a little bit myself around Blackpool and Glen Rovers Club. Um, so he was a masseuse from 1973 on until he sadly passed away. But um, he was a lot more than that, and the players make this point that he was. He really wasn't there for that. He was like a psychologist, is how they put him. He was, you know, the kind of vibes man, like kind of a word in the air, especially in two dressing rooms where, you know, Billy Morgan is, you know, at that time anyway, an intense and really motivated man and coach. And then in the other dressing room was the canon or Father Brian, as he was at the time, who was, you know, a real hurling fanatic as well. Like, so he was the kind of, um, you know, they arm around the shoulder rather than they kick up the backside, mm. I suppose. Um, so hearing stories about him, you know, the, on the, the the trips to the Canaries in New York and uh, he was a boxer, a professional boxer in um, in Ireland and the UK in the boots in the, the 30s. So that, that kind of stuff. And then as well as that, um, the footballers, I suppose, had this uh, animosity to put it one way with the Mead footballers which really festered and grew um, so hearing about those kind of mad really mad games like we, we kind of remember them I suppose um, from the late 80s and 90s as you know really vicious games and maybe for, for probably the same vintage already the, like that Mead team were the kind of you know the boogeyman type thing like if you don't do your homework the, the Mead midfield will be kind of they're coming each so uh, you know hearing their side of the story and hearing those stories about kind of um you know they were they were in the same resort in Grand Canary, for example, in '89, I think maybe. Um, you know, and they were just like at one end of the swimming pool to each other, not talking mm. to each other, up and down in lifts, looking at the the ceiling of the lift, not speaking to each other or whatever. <laughs> so that kind of mad stuff, which kind of evaporated afterwards. When um, you know, sadly there was a couple of players passed away, like Mick McCarthy and John Kearns, and those funerals. Um, you know, thankfully helped to to suit relations. Mm. 1990, of course, uh, such a massive year. Is the reason maybe the dub is kind of overlooked a little bit because of the impact of Italian 90? When you're looking back, you think 1990, you think Italian 90. 
Yeah. I don't think yeah. the double. Definitely nationally anyway, yeah, I, absolutely. And for me, I tried to link it with, you know, link it, I suppose, but kind of um, tread that story in with it, like, because it was a massive part of people's memories. Um, like that game I mentioned, the Munster football final down the park in 90, that, that was the day after the Ireland-Italy quarterfinal. Mm. So, um, you know, people who were, you know, knocking around in those days will remember that weekend. Um, like Larry Tompkins had to leave, leave his bar down the low roads to go up to Jory's to stay the night because his bar was hopping with people kind of enjoying the football. Um, and then, you know, that day was when the homecoming was. And yeah, but you're right. I think nationally, definitely that summer is all about that amazing mm. soccer performance. Um, but for me, the two memories are kind of twin, I have to say. Yeah. Um, there's lots of great stories in the book lots of great pictures as well though yeah I was lucky enough to uh, the Irish Examiner I used to work there and they kindly facilitated me going through their archive yeah. uh, Jim Collin the picture editor there was really great um, and and then as well as that info photography who I have a relationship as well they, they were happy for me to use some of the uh, pictures and they are classy right and particularly like I think there's the iconic type um, you know you go into a bar from you know uh, you know, Skibbereen to to Warren or whatever, and you see the two uh, team photos, and everybody knows those, and mm-hmm. um, everybody's really fond of those. But then there's the ones, you know, the, the, the kind of the Tuesday night of training down the park, or um, the footballers on the the train on the way home with their ties around their heads, yeah. type thing. That wouldn't necessarily happen these days, but the access has been slightly restricted, which is sad. But um, you picture the the cannon with two jerry cans of water, like <laughs> yes, yeah, his famous uh, blue gola bag is the boss told me that was uh, his trademark as well. Um, and then the, like there's there's great ones that didn't necessarily make the cut either, like Dennis Walsh in a dire straight t-shirt down the park training or you know it was a lot more I think people are enjoying this that it um, kind of captures I think the whole book um, you know it was a lot more fun probably you know there was amazing crack and the, these they took it seriously but they, they enjoyed themselves and they were great characters as well Yeah, um, you mentioned there some pictures could have made it but, but didn't they were cut back was there any stories or anything or things that you would have liked to have got in that yeah. couldn't or, or how did you cut them back Apart from the oh, yeah, that was painful. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one picture that, that didn't make the cut was, um, uh, I think it was taken by Des Barry, a uh, photographer and examiner, um, of um, Joe Cunningham and John Kearns. So the two Bears goalkeepers were the, the two goalkeepers on the, the county side, obviously. Um, and the examiner had the, the great idea to go out and picture them in their, I suppose, natural habitat around the lock, walking around the lock um, a few days before the... Um, the hurling final I suppose and then you know they kind of ended up making almost identical saves which were pivotal in their respective games and um, you know sadly obviously John Kearns has passed away since but uh, George Cunningham mentioned that he still has that picture kind of on his sideboard and it's kind of a special memory so I would have loved to get that one in especially as a reference but it didn't make it otherwise stories Jesus there's loads like kind of um Rough for a second book, I said. Yeah, yeah we'll have to go again (laughs) (laughs) yeah um so um, just to kind of I suppose wrap up a bit um, what's the reaction been like to the book I mean it's only been out since since Wednesday I believe but yep. what's the reaction like since yeah very positive yeah um, it, yeah it's mad seeing it kind of in the wild now at this day you know you kind of go into a, a dark room for 12 months and then you emerge and people have their saying it but do you pinch yourself and say like I'm a published author now man? no not quite no. <laughs> oh yeah I have to go into water so I'm going to have a look maybe to just kind of stand there with the book Sorry, what was your question again? <laughs> the reaction to it. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, it's been great. I mean, people are, you know, tweeting their um, little, 
280 character reviews at me, which I think <laughs> is going to continue. And, you know, it's been very positive so far. People are, you know, there's a lot of kind of like, you know, this will be great for a Christmas present for so-and-so, that mm-hmm. kind of person in your life who would have been up and down on a train to Turles in a, in a red jersey through the years. Um, it's been really positive. But I suppose more importantly to me, rightly or wrongly, is the kind of the players and the, the people who are uh, featured in the book, and I don't know what they think of it yet. Like, uh, hopefully they think it's a... You know, it does their story some justice mm. and it's a fair uh, representation of, of their amazing achievement. And... You know, it puts a spotlight on what they they managed to pull off in '90, mm. which is incredible. Certainly so, certainly so. I must plan for book number two now. <laughs> <laughs> What's the next? I suppose 1999 was the next all Ireland, was it? So yeah. we just go up the numbers. <laughs> Adrian, uh, it's been a pleasure uh, having you in. Congratulations on the book, and uh, thanks again. Great, thank you. Thanks, guys. You can pick up Adrian's book, The Double How Cork Made You History, from uh, bookshops now. Well worth the read. Really, really cracking read. Uh, and best of luck to Adrian now with the book. Um, tickets to give away to Cork City and Finn Harps on Friday night. All you have to do is text us 0868104106 uh, with your name, your address and the words at Rebel Army. You could be going along to the City and Harps on Friday night with courtesy of Red FM, proud partners of the Rebel Army. And for more information on that game, go to CorkCityFC.ie. Full-time report from Vicarage Road, Nigel Bidmead. Watford 2, Arsenal 2, a stirring comeback by Watford, who found themselves 2-0 down after a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang double with only half an hour played. On 53, Arsenal tried to play out from a goal kick. It went horribly wrong, and Tom Cleverley made them pay. Watford grew in confidence and won a penalty on 79 when David Luiz tripped Roberto Pereira, and the Argentine scored from the spot. Delefeu, Cleverley and Decore had great chances to win it for the home side, but it ended Watford 2, Arsenal 2. They had a score in the Senior Camogie Championship games ongoing this evening. It's Inniscar 13 points, Era Oak 10 points, and Carberry 117, Ballancog 113 into the last uh, five minutes or so of both of those games. Uh, we're going to talk MMA now. Cage Warriors returning to Cork after a lengthy absence. One of the world's biggest promotions will be in Neptune Stadium on November 9th featuring a host of Cork talent and some of the best Irish fighters around. To look ahead to the event, I spoke to our good friend Shane O'Neill, who's the driving force behind Cage Warriors returning to Leaside. Cage Warriors returns to Cork in eight weeks' time, and uh, Shane O'Neill, our good friend, joins us on the line now. Shane, how are you? Good, Rory, boy. Thanks very much for having me on. It's been a while since we've had you on. It is. It is. The last time I was on was after I won the European title, so it was probably November, December last year, I'd say. Yeah, and what have you been doing since? I've been kept busy, but I've been still training away myself. I haven't been competing, but I obviously work in the MMA clinic, so I've been training away still. Been getting involved in a bit more of the coaching side of stuff, and now as well, been getting involved with Cage Warriors with Graham, so I've been kept busy away. Just been not been in the competing side of things for a change. <laughs> Certainly so. Um, Cage Warriors is coming back to Cork. It's been a long time since Cage Warriors has been in, uh, I suppose, uh, Graham Boylan's home um, of Cork. Yeah. I think it's been nine years, is it 2010? So it's eight years since the last show, but nine years since the first show. The first show was in 2009, I think, and then they had the last show in 2010. Mm. And obviously, one of those cards had a, a little-known fellow by the name of Conor McGregor yeah. on the card. And uh, yeah, just I suppose that alone speaks speaks of the of the calibre of fighters and the way that fellas can make their way to the top of the game through, through case warriors you know and that's what we're hoping to do now we're coming back because obviously Cork has always been a hotbed for fighting talent and uh, the last few years has been they producing a lot of good young fighters with like John Mitchell Jack Maguire who are both making their professional debuts on the card in November mm. Darren O'Gorman who's 
my flatmate over here in London has been making waves in cage wires for the last few years himself and he's going to be returning to Cork for the first time in five years I think so and they're a good fella to be on the card and then there's a few big Irish names Joe McCulligan Ian Gary um, and Reese McKee all really good fighters from Belfast and Dublin and stuff and they're going to be bringing a crowd down from up there with them I presume so it'll be a good night no doubt yeah, it certainly will be. Conor McGregor was on that card nine years ago, and uh, I suppose Cage Warriors has gone from strength to strength uh, in the meantime since then. I mean, like, the promotion has really risen and become the the premier kind of um, promotion in Europe, I suppose. Yeah, it is. It is. It's the biggest feeder, definitely, of, of fighters from, from Europe to the UFC. Like, I think it's approaching 100 now um, fighters who have gone through Cage Warriors rankings and competed in the UFC, so... Any young fighters who want to get to to that level, obviously, it's a clear path. And to have it coming back to Cork, like I said, is very it's a big thing for Graham as well. I know that he's he's um, passionate about getting Irish talent, but in particular Cork talent, um, a platform to showcase their skills. So that's what we're hoping through now, November 9th, to have a massive, successful card with loads of Irish fighters, get a big crowd up there, and then I think there's big plans in in store for it all goes well. And Darren O'Gorman fighting in Cork for the first time in quite a while as well, which will be quite a treat for Cork fans. I know, but he's been buzzing there. He's been going on the gaff like a kid at Christmas since he got announced. So he's, uh, he's looking forward. Because obviously, like I said, he's been making waves anyway. He's been doing very well on the in the Bantamweight division for a while. He was doing very well, but he made the cut to fly away for his last fight and had a very, very close decision loss to uh, Adam Adesina. But like, yeah. even Adam Adesina, another guy who's really high caliber, and I think Darren's going to be... Buzzing now to um, get the win back in his hometown, especially after having such a close. Like it was, it was honestly it was a great fight. Like and it could have gone either way. So we, we were good when it didn't go down's way. But no, as I said, I think it's uh, fuel to the fire to put on, put on a show for the Cork fans in a few weeks time yeah that was a great fight uh, between Darren and Adam I watched it here and work and I thought Darren shaded a bit might I, I'm probably biased so that's probably yeah yeah well I was look I did as well and then I, I thought Darren was after nicking it but you can see look when afterwards we chatted and like when you when a fight is that close you're kind of relying on three people in the crowd's decision or um, opinions on it like so mm. it's just hard you know you have to be kind of I suppose take those and at the end of the day it was still a great performance you know I have to look at that I suppose that's what he took away from it it was a great performance and his first um, first outing at flyweight and it just showed he, he actually I thought he looked really well throughout the whole camp from weight cut and stuff and he felt the same so it was almost mad because he even looked better I thought than he would when he was cutting the bantam weight and he was there uh, he was going lower this time, so I think he just showed to himself that he belongs to that mm. at flyweight. Like. Overall, Shane, um, Cage Warriors returning to Cork is going to be a shot in the arm for the MMA scene in Cork, which is maybe um, um, lessened a little bit over the last couple of years, but it's it's been slowly building back up again. I don't, like. I always think that there was always probably a good base of, um, of Cork MMA fighters, but they were probably having to travel to Dublin and Belfast for shows. I don't think there was... I know Cage Legacy came back to Cork a few years ago yeah. but I don't think there was a show as big as big or anywhere near as big as Cage Warriors back there in years and I think that's what gets fans excited to have big promotions that are showing on things like UFC Fight Pass and um, aired around the world and that will hopefully develop some of the fighters um, fan bases in Cork because obviously the lads are working very hard in the gyms and now it's time to get them some some support as well I'm hoping to see a, a packed house in Neptune on November 9th and how excited is Graham about bringing back uh, his promotion to Cork? Yeah, he's very excited, obviously, because like, how it kind of came about was um, myself and Graham do jiu-jitsu once a week together. We have like a north side, so south side kind of thing. <laughs> and obviously, obviously the south side always win, but uh, yes. <laughs> we'd be doing jiu-jitsu once a week. And I kind of said to him, I was saying, 
most of them, like, well, you ever go back to Cork? And he said if he thought there was a demand, he definitely would. So I went away then, did some Mac research, to use a big word. yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just got on to it, like, because I knew, obviously, I have a lot of friends from Cork. I grew up in the scene, like Karen O'Brien and Dylan Sheen and Samson, Aaron McGuire, Cork MMA, the lads in trials. Like, I kind of knew just from being on social media and stuff. And I'd, I'd seen, in particular, the rise of um, Jack McGuire and John Mitchell, and I saw them doing unbelievable things in the amateur rankings so I just thought it made sense with Darren as well like Darren hadn't fought in Cork in five years I was like sure look I went back doing with a load of names after doing a bit of research from amateur and pro, pro and he said let's do it yeah. so he was delighted and he was saying look this is obviously for him going home it's going to be a big deal and I think um, the last time they were in Cork those two shows they had like I didn't even know Graham at the time and I was I was very young but I went to one of them and it didn't have the same I think the MMA scene in Cork back then definitely wasn't anywhere near as big as it is now mm. and it didn't really get the um, didn't really get the response that they probably hoped for like in terms of the crowd up there yeah. and like as I said even if it was people wouldn't have known who Conor McGregor was at the time you got beat by Joe Duffy another, another fellow who went on to fight the UFC as well but um, this time around I'm hoping it'll be different but I would actually I know it'll be different because I know that John Mitchell, Jack McGuire, Darren O'Gorman, for some reason, the three of them are very popular because they think they're all very nice for this, but uh, <laughs> for some reason, they have a, they have a good following and uh, they get a crowd up and then the amateur card is going to be stacked full of car fighters and obviously, the Thai boxing scene and boxing, well, the Thai boxing scene for years with Martin Horgan shows have been getting yeah. really good spotlight and has been getting great crowds. I know Martin did a show with the pro boxing in his last outing so that gave the boxers and the boxing fans something to talk about but there's been nothing for the MMA fans and they know there's a massive massive pool of fans massive pool of fighters so Graham's delighted and I'm delighted to be seeing that going back there now like you know and we're delighted to have Cage Warriors back in court November 9th keep your eye out online for uh, details and tickets and all that crack it's going to be a great night for you lots of uh, Cork fighters Shane thanks That's as it, always buddy. Oh, to have me on, but I appreciate it, Rory, and I'll chat to you again soon. Yeah, it was great to have Shane O'Neill on, and uh, really looking forward to Cage Warriors returning um, to Cork. It's been a while, nine years it has been since that show in 2010, and Conor McGregor on that card, losing to Joe Duffy, uh, fair, Joe Duffy winning fairly handily as well. Uh, but uh, it just shows you, you never know who's going to be the next global superstar, and you can see them, I suppose, uh, on your own doorstep uh, right here in Cork on November 9th. I'm going to wrap up the show with um, some more from Alan Bennett's testimonial yesterday. Didn't have time to play this yesterday. Uh, but um, Pat Dolan, uh, Cork City manager, was one of the managers, uh, was the manager of the Cork City Legends team yesterday. Um, and uh, Pat always good value as well. And uh, Colm caught up with him and uh, caught up with John O'Flynn in the aftermath of yesterday's game. Turn us across. Just after Alan Bennett's testimonial, and uh, we've got two legends um, who were here in Alan Bennett's time Many years ago, we have John O'Flynn and we have legendary Cork City manager Pat Dolan as well. Um, a great day to pay tribute to a great servant of Cork City, lads. Yeah, I mean, listen, Alan Bennett, when, when, when people want success in football, they always look at good players, but you need great people. And, you know, obviously Alan was a, was a great, great footballer. He played for his country. So to play for the Rebel Army and then to play for Ireland, huge. But he's an outstanding human being and I'm just a little bit disappointed with the crowd actually today because you know what's happened here you know this is Turner's Cross it's the Rebel Army it's Cork City Alan Bennett's testimonial and the crowd's not backed 
It's not good enough, and I'm really disappointed by that. Did you expect a lot more here, Pat? Yeah, of course I would. I mean, this is Alan Bennett, for goodness yeah. sake. This is the greatest football club on the planet to people in, 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 in Cork. So, you know, obviously there's, there's, there's problems here at the moment. It's about time the Rebel Army got themselves together and got it fixed. And, you know, please God that they've got a good manager now in, in Neil Fenn. And uh, I'm sure that next season will be a hell of a lot brighter um, than this season. But I hope that people learn from the mistakes because some of the decision-making in recent times has just been absolutely balmy army bonkers. Um, it's been a, a very disappointing season for Cork City. Did you ever see it going as bad as it has done this season? No, I didn't, no. I mean, I mean, obviously, listen, you know, John Caulfield is, you know, an absolute legend. You know, one of the greatest footballers to play for Cork City and then the greatest ever manager. And obviously the way that he was forced to walk out of the football club almost with his tail between his legs yeah. was an embarrassment and, and I just couldn't understand why it happened and it's just collapsed since then and um, lessons need to be learned and uh, I, I really hope now that the club comes back together because it's brilliant that the supporters own the football club but let's start making the best possible decisions And uh, but it was nice to be back here today and did we win, did we? I think we won, I think we won. I think, did, did, did you get the winner or did you? Yeah, I'd say I got, I got the winner. All right. Um, I know, I'll mirror what Pat said about Alan. He's a fantastic person. Um, I'm just glad he got his career together, to be honest, because we used to struggle for a clean sheets early on in his career. I used to have to kind of bail him out by scoring a couple of goals. But um, no, he's been a great servant to the club and, you know, he deserves all the accolades. I remember seeing, I don't know, was it his debut here in the cross, but it was one of his first games many years ago. And he scored one of the most spectacular own goals we've ever seen he's come a long way since then lads that's true yeah I actually missed that uh, I think it was the following season I came back which was unfortunate for me because just hearing about it you know <laughs> sounds special but um, no Alan's been fantastic wasn't the only chance you missed at Taylor's class was that oh he's getting digs in already alright assistant do you know what was I'll take over I'm the manager okay do you know what was interesting was uh, before the game obviously you know Alan had to be introduced to uh, John O'Flynn. I said, why is that? Because John was convinced that he was so good that he didn't recognise his face because he only saw his back. But... <laughs> <laughs> and I changed in a different change room. <laughs> but no, it was fantastic to be back in Turner's Cross. You know, obviously to get the goal and Georgie to, to knock the ball in. You know, it's been... That was really rolling back the years, wasn't it? Yourself and Georgie banging in goals there in front of the shed. Yeah, it was great. And Georgie's son was here. So he, we were obviously telling him that this is what we used to do before. Like, you know, so it was fantastic to be out here with Georgie. He was 40. He was 40 the other day. I was only... We were chatting about it above. We were kind of wondering what age Georgie was. Yeah. And the lads were kind of saying maybe 38, 39. So they weren't too far off. Yeah, 40 years old and still able to do it. So yeah, George, that's fantastic. George, George actually has, uh, was born on the same day as me. And we were both 40. We had a joint birthday party. It was wonderful, like, you know. <laughs> but uh, my invite got lost in the post, did it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I hope though when we talk about we talk about that team you know it was so it was decades when there was no players from our top professional league playing for our top professional side the Republic of Ireland senior side yeah. but you know there's five full internationals from that side but if you look at Georgie and, and John O'Flynn I mean they were just the kings and they did so much for this football club and uh, you know there's so much so much talent in Cork um and I know that every place in the world says that, but trust me, you know, I go all over the world um, with football. I've never seen that special something that, that, that you have down here in yeah. Cork. And I really hope now that, you know, young Cork people, and you see the, you know, everyone's excited about the Rugby World Cup now, but 
this is the game that doesn't discriminate. You see the brilliant women's team out there. There's no difference if you're a man or woman, whatever sex, religion, doesn't discriminate. And it was a great occasion to honour a fantastic human being. But for goodness sake, you know, this great city of Cork, surely when we have games like this, the place is packed because this is a very, very special club. And, uh, and I really hope that next season all the rubbish that's happened this season is put to bed. They get behind Neil Fenn and get the Rebel Army back to where they belong. Back to where they belong, like they were, I suppose, in you, you guys' times originally and certainly like the, the past few years under John Caulfield as well. Um, they were special days when you were here, Pat, as manager and when you played Flinney um, with the old shed there behind us in, in Turners Cross and great players, Alan Bennett, obviously, likes yourself, George O'Callaghan, Neil Fenn, so many guys. What a wonderful team that was. Well, I suppose they were the, the players. I, I always remember the, the season before when I was mounting St. Pat's and Cork came down and we beat them. It was a mad game. And there was these two guys that I didn't know, Georgia Callahan and John O'Flynn. They were, I thought, wow, these are just unbelievable players. And they certainly were, and they were unbelievable yesterday as well. I was wondering, um, were they on the training ground this week to, to practice? Because they looked like they had a telepathic connection still after all this time. And it was great to see Georgie and Flynn uh, there for Alan Bennett's testimony. And all the other players as well. Great day at Turner's Cross yesterday. All right, that's it from us. Uh, we are out of time. The winners of the Cork City tickets are Kevin O'Connell and uh, Claire Murphy. So congratulations, guys. You're heading along to City and Finn Harps on Friday. Podcast online shortly. Follow us on Twitter at Big Red Bench. We're back next Saturday in 6. Alan Donovan's up next with Green and Red. Enjoy your Sunday, folks. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.